0: Santa Cruz. Great to have you here. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. You're going to need one. We'll be happy to loan you a Bible. And if you need to take that Bible home with you, please do consider it a gift from us to you. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Lord willing, we're going to finish up chapter 13 this morning and look at chapter 14 as well. I know it's a big task in front of us, but God's faithful. Hey, uh, one of the many, 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 many things I love about Christmas is it's a great time to share your faith with other people, amen? And one thing, you probably saw the flyer in your bulletin, if you didn't, I'm going to share this with you real quick, but a lot of people don't realize that a candy cane is actually something that was created by a Christian man who wanted to honor the Lord at Christmas time. And sadly, you know, time goes by and we start to think it's just another you know, thing that goes with Christmas. It's something to do with Santa Claus. You know, Santa's handing them out. But the reality is that they, it is a very clear picture of the Lord. Years ago, a candy maker wanted to make a candy that would be a witness, so he, he made a candy cane. He incorporated several symbols from the birth, ministry, and death of Jesus Christ. He began with a stick of pure white, hard candy, white to symbolize the virgin birth and the sinless nature of Jesus. He made it hard to symbolize the solid rock, on which we stand, Jesus Christ, and the firmness of the promises of God. He made it in the letter J for Jesus to represent His name, and then when you turn it upside down, it represents the shepherd's staff of those who, who came to Him first at the announcing of His birth, but also the fact that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Again, thinking that the candy was somewhat plain, He then stained it with three red stripes. The Bible says that by his stripes we are healed. It's a representation of his scourging, the fact that he suffered in our place so we might have eternal life. Then he put a large red stripe, which represented the shed blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross that gives us eternal life. How many of you didn't know that? All right, what a great witnessing tool, amen? So next time you see someone with a candy cane, you can ask them, do you know what that means? Do you know how that started? And nobody's going to say, would you like to know? Nobody will tell you no, I promise. They'll go, oh no, yeah, tell me. What a great witnessing opportunity. So may you use even the candy cane for God's glory this season, amen? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse verse study, and we're going to finish off chapter 8 from last, or 13, excuse me, forgive your pastor, verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to finish up 1 Corinthians 13, and then we're going to look at chapter 14. So this morning, we're going to continue to look at Paul's letter written to the church in Corinth. Corinth, as you know, is a very wicked city. A city that was not serving God, it was the sin city of the day. The church in Corinth had been planted by Paul five years earlier. Then he gets word back that they've fallen away from the Lord and they're becoming more and more like the city. He then writes a letter to them instructing them to flee the sexual immorality that was in the city. To not get caught up in pagan idol worship. To not get caught up in the things of the world. Then as we get later on in the text, he begins to respond to questions that they had about the liberty that they had in Christ, whether or not they should eat meat, about their marriages. Well, chapters 12 through 14, what he's been talking about is he's been talking about spiritual gifts. Because as believers in the body of Christ, every one of you, if you've been born again, you have a spiritual gift and probably you have more than one. And that's one of the reasons that we come together as the body of Christ, is that we can each use the gifts God has given us that we might minister to each other. And we're going to talk about this, that this morning, but in chapter 12, he listed all the gifts in the body of Christ. Then in chapter 13, as we looked at last week, he looked at the motivation for using the gifts, the attitude that we ought to have. And he talked about agape love. We'll finish looking at that this morning. And then in chapter 14, he goes on then to talk not just about the attitude that we are to have, but also the divine order that God has given to his spiritual gifts, how they're to be used in the body of Christ. So let's pick up in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As we look last week, I want to encourage you, grab the tape from last week if you weren't here, talking about agape love, three words for love, Aaron, phileo, and agape, eros, or Aaron, is erotic love or selfish love, it's love that's focused on me, what can you do for me? Phileo is a brotherly love, it's a, lo- it's a friendship or brotherly love, But agape is a selfless love, a love that can only come from God. And last week we saw the description of agape, that agape is kind, that agape is patient, that agape does not behave rudely. And then we finished off in verse 8 saying that agape never fails. Corinthians emphasizing the gifts as marks of spiritual maturity, and Paul was showing them that love is more than the gifts, that love is where where the gifts are revealed. And agape never fails. Now I fail... You fail, but the Lord never does. And the love that He gives us one for another will never fail if we will allow ourselves to be conduits for that agape love. Last week, I encouraged you to read that list where it says love and put your name in there and see how it sounds. If it sounds really far-fetched and we got a lot of growing to do spiritually, amen? But there is a name we can put in there and it's Jesus. Because Jesus suffers long and is kind and Jesus does not envy. It may not describe us but it perfectly describes the Lord. He says love never fails, but where there are prophecies they will fail. Whether there are tongues they will cease. Whether there is knowledge it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away. Today we know in part. You know what we have the complete revelation of God's Word. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But can I tell you something? We still only have a small glimpse of the greatness of God. Amen? No matter how great you think God is, He's way greater than that. No matter how powerful you think He is, He's way more powerful than that. And right now, we see a, a glimpse of God through the Word, through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But there's so much more that we will understand about God one day when we stand in His presence. So right now, we only understand in part. We don't have complete and total knowledge of God. And we know in part. But he says, you know, the prophecies are going to pass away, the tongues are going to pass away, the knowledge is going to pass away, but the love is going to endure. Then he says, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but there are people that say that the gifts are no longer for today, and they use this verse as the reason why. They'll say, when that which is perfect has come, and they describe that as when Jesus came the first time, or they describe it as the Bible being completed, and they say, when that which is perfect has come, we're not going to need the gifts anymore. But I wanted you to see the rest of these verses here, to see very clearly that these gifts do still exist today, and that you and I as Christians are to desire these gifts, that we might use them for God's glory. You know what, I don't know about you, but I want everything God has for me. How about you? Amen? I don't want to just have a kind of relationship with God. I don't want to be the Sunday morning an hour and a half and, you know, Wednesday night on occasion and, you know, opening my Bible every once in a while when when it's convenient. You know, I want to have that intimate desire and passion for God that's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I want everything God has for me. And it's so important that we understand that the gifts are for today or we will miss out on what God has for us. And so I want, let's just look at a couple more verses here, because I want you to see this. He said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. As we grow spiritually, our understanding of God's heart, His will, and His plan will become more clear. We'll have a better understanding of the gifts and their proper importance. He spoke as a child, and again, He... He had been growing spiritually as he walked with the Lord. I've said this many times to you before and I'll say it again. I truly believe that Christianity is like a grease pole. You're either climbing up or sliding down. You're either getting closer to God or you're falling away from Him. There's no such thing as a stagnant walk with God. You're either pursuing Him and falling more in love with Him every day or you've been kind of stagnant in your walk and you're caught up at work and you haven't been spending time in the Word and you're not as close to God as you used to be. Let me tell you something, that if you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Amen? God didn't move, you did. And you know, we all can look back at times when we had such intimate fellowship with God and then some time goes on and we get caught up with the things of the world, and then we look up and all of a sudden we realize, man, my walk with God has suffered. That's not because of God, it's because of us. It's because we have fallen away. But then he says "Therefore, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then... Face to face. Now, I believe, when you, that's why you always look at Scripture in its context. When that which is perfect has come, what does that mean? The answer is in verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Let me ask you a question. Are we seeing God face to face right now? What's the answer? Are you guys awake? What's the answer? Okay, we're not. So here's the reality. When that which is perfect has come, I believe very clearly, is the second coming of Christ when He will take us He first raptures the church seven years later the second coming of christ we will be in his presence And when we are in his presence and we see him face to face then we're not going to need the gift of knowledge We're not going to need the gift of tongues We're not going to need the word of wisdom Why because we're going to be in the presence of almighty god and we're going to know as we are known amen But until then we need those gifts to edify and build up and encourage the body so when someone tells you well that which is perfect is is the Bible, or that which is perfect was when Jesus first came. No, read the rest of the chapter. You know, it's amazing when people struggle with the Bible, often all I need to tell them is, read the next verse. They read the, oh, I got it now. There it is, okay? That's why we keep reading. Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? Keep reading the book, keep spending time in His Word, and you'll, you'll have understanding. So agape never fails. Our agape and our love for God will grow. The spiritual gifts are to continue to be used until we're in the presence of Almighty God. Now I know in part, but then I will know just as I, am all, I also am known. Blows me away that when I get to heaven, I'm going to have complete and total knowledge. I'm going to see, but more importantly to me, I'm going to see Jesus face to face. You ever think about that? You ever think about seeing Jesus face to face? And can I tell you something? That I get excited when I think about it, but I also get convicted. I get convicted about the way I'm living my life right now with the realization that one day I'm going to stand in His presence. And I say, Lord, help me to live my life in a way that will honor You, that will glorify You. You know, when we get there, we won't be able to come back and redo this vapor of time that we have right now. May we use it completely for His glory. One day we'll be with Him in heaven. Verse 13, And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Last week we saw that He said, If you speak with tongues of angels and you don't have love, it's, like, it's noise. It's like a clanging cymbal. If you have the greatest gifts in the world, if you prophesy, if you do all these wonderful works in God's name, but you have love, they have not love, it's nothing. And can I tell you that it breaks my heart to see how often I meet believers who are so caught up in their pursuit of knowledge and the pursuit of wisdom in the Bible that they walk around looking like they've been sucking on a lemon. Christianity should never be that way. Amen? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is What? love and joy and peace and as believers in Jesus Christ we're going to heaven we've been adopted into his family we've been blessed chosen adopted accepted redeemed forgiven we've been given an inheritance our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life we're going to a place where gold is asphalt amen we're gonna see Jesus face to face how can we walk around bummed out it's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit it should be the joy of the Lord and he says the greatest of all these things is love you know what? might the great when the greatest compliments that our church gets and we get it a lot. And I want to encourage you because it's, it's an attribute that you guys are faithful to. People will visit our church and they will write me letters or they'll call on the phone and they'll tell me they've never been so loved before at a church in their life. May we never get away from that no matter how many people are here, amen? And you know what? It can't just be the pastors loving one another. It's got to be everybody. You know, after church, don't look for your closest friends every time. You can talk to them later. Go find someone who's new and love on them. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. Amen? And the greatest of these gifts is love. Faith, hope, and love. Emphasized throughout the New Testament. And remember, again, that God desires that we have faith. God desires that our hope would be in Him. But that we realize the greatest gift of all is the gift of love. When we get to heaven, we won't need faith anymore. Did you know that? We won't need it. Why? Because He'll be standing right there. Amen? Faith... Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what not seen. So we'll be seeing Him, Amen. We won't need faith anymore. We won't need hope anymore because we're there, Amen. We won't be hope. There won't be having to hope. We'll be blessed. We'll be there. But you know, what we will still have love, Amen. We'll have supernatural love in heaven like nothing we've ever experienced. Well, that brings us to chapter 14, and as we come to chapter 14. He's been talking to them about the greatest commandment, to to love the Lord your God. He's been talking about the greatest gift of all is love, that agape love. And now he's going to talk to them about the gifts and how they're to be used in the body of Christ. In chapter 12, again, he listed the gifts. In chapter 13, he told them the motivation that they should have, or how they should use the gifts, the attitude which is in love. And now we come to chapter 14, and he's going to talk about the order of the gifts. We're going to see God's divine plan for spiritual gifts. Here's what spiritual gifts should do. Here's how you'll know if it's from God. One, it edifies the body. Two, it's done with understanding. People get it when you do it, okay? We're going to talk about that. And then thirdly, it's done decently and in order. This is what chapter 14 is all about. Can I tell you that I believe the gift that is the most misunderstood in the church today is the gift of tongues? The gift of tongues is either ignored completely or abused to the other degree. The gift of tongues is for today, but it's to be done decently and in order. And when we walk out of here this morning, hopefully we have a clear understanding of that. Okay? It is a gift that God has given us for today. It's for edification of the body. It's it's a a language spoken to the the Father. But we're also going to see that there are other gifts that are considered greater than the gift of tongues. In the world today, there are a lot of churches out there that tell you if you don't speak in tongues, you're not going to heaven. Show me a verse for that. There isn't one, amen? Paul says later that I wish you all speak in tongues, but he also says that it's the least of all the gifts. There are gifts that are greater than the gifts of tongues, because we'll, and we'll see why. And we'll see that the Holy Spirit is alive and well and moving in churches, but when the Holy Spirit moves, He's not confused, amen? Amen? And you go into a lot of churches where everybody's confused. I've seen churches on TV that confuse the tar out of me. What are they doing, right? And we're going to talk about why the Holy Spirit doesn't operate that way. It's very clearly in the text this morning. So let's look at verse 1. Looking at, again, the divine gifts and how they're to be used. It says in verse 1, Pursue love. Okay, just spoke about love, all of chapter 13, and he comes to them, and the preeminence or priority in the life of the believer is the pursuit of agape love, because agape is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, agape is the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God, agape the Lord your God, and agape your neighbor as yourself, and without agape, everything else you do is noise. If you don't have love, then everything else you do is of no value to the kingdom of God. Some people will struggle with that. They'll say, well, Pastor Dave, if I go down and do good works, you know, I go down and build a house for orphans or something, that's not a good work, about i doing love. The answer is no, it's noise. That's what the Bible says. Why? Because there must be love pouring out of us. We should not do things out of a have to, but a get to. It should be a joy. Amen? I'll tell you this too. If you're serving in a ministry here in our church, and you dread it, stop doing it, please, now. We'll find somebody else. Amen? because I want you to do it with a heart of joy it's a get-to it's a it's a blessing and so too he says here pursue love pursue love be passionate the word there for pursue is to follow after or to track down love increases and overflows when there's less of me and more of the Lord in my life John the Baptist said I must decrease that he might increase Jesus said Of men born among women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, there's got to be less of me and more of him. Can I tell you right now, if you're struggling in your walk with God, there's got to be less of you and more of him. If you're struggling with love, there's got to be less of you and more of him. You need to deny yourself and your will and your heart and your desires and pursue his. Amen? Pursue agape. Then he says, and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now some struggle, should I desire spiritual gifts? In the previous chapter, chapter twelve, it ended by Paul saying, "But earnestly desire the best gifts. We are to pursue love above all else, but we're also to desire spiritual gifts. Why? Because God has given them to us, and He wants us to use them for His glory. And He says it's okay to desire those gifts. Now, it doesn't mean that because the the gifts had been misunderstood, that they should then ignore them." They were being misused in Corinth when this letter was written. People were running around, and we're going to see in a minute, and everybody's speaking in tongues all at the same time. And everybody's just, you know, having a free-for-all. And again, that's not God. We'll see it in the text. Maybe you've been to churches like that. Maybe you believe that's okay. Well, if you read the Bible, and you read this chapter this morning, you better leave quick, or you're not going to believe that anymore in a few minutes, okay? Because the Bible very clearly says that's not the way the Lord operates. That's not God's heart. That's not God's design. But because people were out of control doesn't mean that that we then should swing the pendulum all the way the other way and say because those people are out of their mind, I'm just not going to have anything to do with spiritual gifts anymore. Because they're so abused, I'm just not going to do it. And you know what? There's the temptation to do that. Because tongues is abused, then I'm not even going to have anything to do with tongues. Because prophecy is abused, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. I'm just going to go the other extreme. That's not God's heart. We should desire spiritual gifts. That's what the verse says. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Again, we shouldn't be satisfied with less than what God has for us. We should want all that God has for us. And he says there, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, the word, while Corinthian believers overemphasized tongues, they underemphasized prophecy. Now, prophecy can be two things. It can be foretelling of truth or forthtelling of truth. When somebody gets up and teaches the Bible, it is the foretelling inspired by the Holy Spirit of truth. The forthtelling, proclaiming of truth. That's prophetic, okay? It's the gift of teaching, but it's prophetic. The same is true that God can also give people words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and again, they can be prophecy that way as well. But what had happened was they were so involved in chasing the emotions and everybody's running around and everybody's speaking in tongues all at the same time that they didn't have any time for the Word anymore. You know, I've heard people say that to me. Oh, our church was on fire on Sunday. You should have been there. What? Well, we were just all speaking in tongues for so long we never had time for the Bible. That ain't God. Amen? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? Speaking in tongues? No, the Word of God. Amen? And as we're going to see that... While tongues are a gift for today, they are to be done decently and in order. And the Holy Spirit doesn't lose track of time. Amen? Oh man, you know, when the Holy Spirit gets moving, sometimes we just... No, 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 no. We're going to see that as we're under and, and being led by the Holy Spirit, that there is very clear direction that comes from God. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands Him. However, in the Spirit... He speaks mysteries. Now, he's going to contrast prophecy in tongues, and he's going to talk about who they speak to. Who do tongues speak to? What does it say there? To God. Tongues are always speaking to God. Now, what are tongues? We talked about it last week. There are tongues of men and tongues of angels. They're actually known languages, or the word there is dialectos, where somebody can literally get up and speak in a language that they've never learned. It happened in Acts chapter 2, remember? Holy Spirit came upon them, they all spoke, and everybody heard the wonderful works of God. Because though they were speaking in every language, they were speaking to God. They were praising God, and everybody heard it in their own language. And then they came to know the truth when Peter got up and prophesied, forth told the word. So he says, tongues always speak to God. So if you go to a, a meeting somewhere, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but somebody actually shares. With tongues and then somebody gets up and interprets it and interprets it as a message to the church That's not God because it says in the Bible that every single times tongues are spoken to God So what what are tongues? It's like we're sitting there listening to somebody pouring out their heart Inspired by the Holy Spirit speaking directly to God and we're listening in That's what tongues are tongues are not thus saith the Lord you should go out and do this in a foreign language That's not the Lord that's not what the Bible teaches. Again, it's so misunderstood in the church today. Because of it, it's either out of control on one end, or people have avoided it completely on the other. We are not to abuse the gifts, but we are to desire them. Amen? I want all God has for me. How about you? And so he says here that tongues speak to God. They do not speak to men, but to God. But he who prophesies, verse 3, speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Now, when you prophesy, you're not speaking to God, but you're speaking to men. When you prophesy, it is God speaking through you to people. And so, one gift speaks to God, and the people around cannot understand it, and the other gift is speaking to people about God and everybody understand it understands it. Now which one of those do you think should be operating in the church service? Prophecy. Amen. That's what's happening right now. If I got up here and started speaking in Korean or Chinese or some other language and there was nobody here to interpret, you don't walk out there going that was sweet. That was great. I didn't understand a word of that, right? Maybe some of you have been to, ch- been to places where they do, you know, mass in Latin or something, right? And you walk out going, Oh, that was edifying, right? I mean, the reality is, if you don't understand what they're saying, how in the world is it going to minister to your heart? And he says, these guys are all speaking in tongues. And you know what? Now, I want to say this. When the person speaks in tongues, it does edify the person who is speaking. It does lift them up. But when we come to church on Sunday, we need to come here to be fed, but we also need to come here to build up the body, Amen? Now at home in your prayer language, when between you and the Lord and you're praying, if God's given you the gift of tongues, where I believe it is most used is in your prayer language at home. You're at home and you're by yourself and you're praying. That's a wonderful thing and it does edify you and it is you, Holy Spirit speaking, the wonderful works of God to God right from your heart. What a blessing. But at the same time, if we come to church, we need to come here not just that we might be edified, but that the body might be built up. And tongues without interpretation edifies nobody. And it's not from God. Okay? Very clear if you read this text. And he says the prophecies, they speak edification. What is edification? It's to build up. It's a construction term. So when somebody prophesies, it should build you up. It should encourage you. My prayer is that every time you come to church on Sunday and the Word of God's taught, that you leave here encouraged in your faith. Now, you're encouraged, but sometimes you're also convicted. But both of those are good things, amen? Because conviction draws us back into right relationship. Conviction falls into the next word. He says, speaks edification and exhortation. Somebody told me once I have this gift. Maybe I do. Exhorting people. That's calling people to action, amen? And that's what a pastor ought to do. It's exhorting people. It's not just telling you what the word says, but applying it to your life and exhorting you to put it to action. And that's what prophecy does. It encourages you and it exhorts you or calls you to action. It's been termed like a football coach at halftime. Come on, guys. Right? We need to get out there. Well, that's exhortation. God saved us. He's forgiven us. Now we need to go out and share with the lost and dying world. That's exhortation. And then lastly, it says there that it comforts us. He strengthens us to carry the load by wrapping His arms around us. And He does that through the teaching of the word. So prophecy builds us up, it gets us going, and it strengthens us to carry the load. Verse 4, but he who, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And that's what I just said. If you're praying in tongues, the only person getting edified is you. Everybody around you can't understand what you're doing, and they're not getting ministered to by it by it at all. Now we'll talk about Tongues being interpreted in a minute, but if you just get up and start speaking in tongues. I remember going to a church when I was younger where they'd get up in front and somebody would ring a chime and then everybody would just go for it. And I remember sitting there being like 10 going, These people are out of their mind. And you're going to see that that's a biblical statement because in the Bible it says if somebody walks in and sees, you know, 500 people just whatever, right? And you're going, what in the world is going on here? Because the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. And let me tell you right now, I've seen it. It's confusion. It's total confusion. Because nobody can hear what anybody else is saying and everybody's edifying themselves. That's not what the corporate church meeting is for. We are to use our gifts to build up and edify one another. It's interesting. I often I thought about this with gifts. You know, in our house at Christmas time, we have a tradition started when I was young, and maybe you do the same thing, but we open one gift at a time. Go from youngest to oldest, everybody sits and watches the, the oldest, right? What is he going to go for? No, but somebody's opening their gift, they read the card, they tell you who it's from, right? Then they open it up, and everybody gets to see what it was, and, but you know what? Back in the day when everybody just, right, you ever seen that, Right? paper flying you get all done and you don't even know what anybody got or who they got it from or anything right it's just all over because what everybody's got their gifts and they're just going for it right now here's the reality that god's design for us in the body of christ would be that we would use our gifts in a way that would edify others and that we'd be able to minister to others through our gifts and we'd be able to be blessed by the gifts of others just like again when i get to watch one of my kids open up a present for me and they take their time and they read it and they open it. I get to see the reaction. It's all a part of that gift giving. And the same is true, poor analogy maybe, but the same is true in the body of Christ, that we have gifts and we are to minister one to another. Verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues. So he's, again, he's not bashing on tongues. He's saying, I wish you all had that gift. But, even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So he wishes that they all spoke in tongues. Paul's not down on tongues, but he's much more up on prophecy. Why? Because prophecy speaks with understanding and edifies everybody in the hearing. So tongues alone edifies only themselves. Okay. Tongues plus interpretation, as we'll talk about in a moment, does edify the body, but it's only to be done in a certain way, and we'll talk about that. But prophecy always ministers to the whole body. When somebody shares the prophetic truth of the Word of God, or shares a word from the Lord, clearly it ministers to the entire body. Again, he says there, "...unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification." Again, tongue's primary use is a prayer language. And Paul emphasized the importance of doctrinal teaching in the church. Notice that he says, what's the greatest gift? What should be the main thing happening when the church gets together? Prophecy. What's the main thing that should happen when we come together on Sunday? The teaching of what? God's Word. Now back then, they didn't have Bibles sitting on their lap. Okay, the church in Corinth, they didn't come in with their Bible on their lap. You know, they did have people raise their hand and hand out a Bible. The New Testament was still being written, and the Old Testament was on big old scrolls that were both inconvenient and too expensive for people to have. So when people came in, people got up and would prophesy, and it was the, literally the prophets speaking words came directly from God, and the others would be there to confirm the accuracy of the prophecy. But today, we have this. Amen? And you know what? This is the foundation for all truth. All truth. I'll never forget a buddy of mine years ago, I made that statement when I was a youth pastor, and he came up to me and said, oh, you made a mistake, because God's still revealing new truths. I said, no, He's not. No, He's not. Now, if He reveals specific truths to your life, yes, but it's all contained right here, amen? That's why we know that the Mormon church is a lie, because they say they've got another testament, amen? Well, we know there are no more testaments, Amen? This is it. It's in your hand. And so for us, we open up and prophetically proclaim the Word of God without compromise. And that should be one of the main focal points that happens when you come on Sunday. You should be fed that you may be edified, that you may be exhorted, and that you may be comforted. Again, if we come in and we're just chasing the experience, and that happens. You know, up in Toronto, they were barking in the Spirit. Then they were roaring in the Spirit. Then they were drunk in the Spirit. They had drunk tanks, and I'm going to put people in the drunk tanks. That is not God. The Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion, amen? And if somebody's on their hands and knees going around our church roaring like a lion, that's a little confusing, amen? That worries me a lot. And it's interesting to me that it says in the Bible that Satan is a what? Roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I'm thinking roaring's not a good thing at church on Sunday, amen? And so the reality is it's the Word of God that needs to be the emphasis. We want to have all the gifts being exhibited here, all the gifts being used, but the primary gift that Paul talks about is the gift of prophecy. Verse 6, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? He says, if I come to you with tongues, what profit is it to you unless I come to you with knowledge or prophecy, unless I come to you with something that you can understand? Because, again, the spiritual gifts will edify the body, and when they are given, there will be understanding. If I come to you speaking with tongues, it will profit you nothing if you don't understand what I'm saying. Eight times in the next 15 or so verses, Paul's going to use the word understand. And you know what? It's so important that you understand when the gifts are being used. If they're being used and it's just a big emotional trip and you don't understand, what value is it? What value is it for you to go to a church where someone's speaking in another language, going through a bunch of rituals? You know, I got my brownie point. I sat through that thing, man. Two hours of up and down in Latin. What was that about, right? And I know people that say, but I got to go because I'm supposed to. No understanding. It's of no value. Just quit doing it. Go somewhere where you understand what they're talking about, amen? Because otherwise, you're not going to be exhorted. You're not going to be encouraged. You're not going to be comforted. You're not going to be edified. You're not going to grow. You need to understand the word. And you know what, as a pastor, can I say something else from a personal perspective? That's why to me it is so important that I teach you guys at a level that that a nine-year-old can understand. That's my heart. Keep the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can reach them. Amen? Teaching deep truths simply. I don't get up here and tell you about the, you know, aorist tense in the Greek of the passive form of the verb. Right? Huh? Right? You'd all be out there, huh, what are you talking about? Well, he's really smart, right? I mean, and, you know, sometimes you go, and I've, I've heard pastors, right? And they're talking, and they're like, i got no idea what he's talking about, but he must be really smart. Because he's talking about the thing, and the, right? I don't get it, right? You know what? Can I encourage you? When you're sharing with people, just be simple. Isn't the Gospel simple? It's not complicated. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There it is, Amen. It's very simple. And yet he said, that's what he's saying. Look, you know, just share the truth with understanding. Don't try to baffle people with your knowledge. Don't be arrogant. You know what? Nothing nauseates God more than people being arrogant and self-righteous. And I know that's true because how did Jesus treat the Pharisees? What did he say? You brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes. Didn't he say that to them? On the outside, you look really good. On the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You guys are a bunch of... You know, you're a bunch of graves, you're a bunch of snakes. Now, he said that to the self righteous, arrogant, thought they knew it all. We need to be one beggar leading another beggar to the bread and walking in humility before God. Amen? And realizing how blessed we are to know him. Now, he's going to give three illustrations to verify the point he just made. Even things within life, whether, whether flute, without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? If a musical instrument does not give a clear and distinct sound, nobody will recognize the music. If I walked over here and picked up Russ's saxophone and started blowing into that thing, even if I could get air to come out of it, you guys would not be happy. Why? Because I don't, I'm not gifted to play that thing, right? And the same is true that when somebody is blowing a horn without understanding, is doing something where it's just noise. If people don't understand it, if it's not being distributed in a way that brings meaning to people's lives and edifies them, it's just noise. And that's what tongues are without interpretation. Verse 8, For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? This talks about a bugler. Can you imagine if a guy's blowing a bugle and there's a certain sound for charge and a certain sound for retreat? And he kind of plays half of both. <laughs> you got people running back and people running out, right? You know. And the reality is that no one would understand the instruction if there's not given with understanding. And the same is true, again, with tongues without interpretation. Verse 9, So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. You know what? If you're speaking first, either arrogantly, either trying to baffle people with your knowledge, or if you're speaking tongues without interpretation, you're just yelling down a well. It's of no value to the body of Christ. You're edifying nobody. You're encouraging nobody. You're comforting nobody. You walk out with your experience. Boy, church was great today. I, I, man, I went for it for 20 minutes. and t- Great. What, how did that minister to the body? It says here, it doesn't. You're yelling down a well. You're blown into a saxophone that you can't play and you're just hurting people's ears. You're not ministering to anybody. And he's making it very, very clear. There, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world. This is verse 10. And none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. People... Speaking in Russian. I've been to Russia numerous times. I've been to India and I've sat there and listened to people speak in Russian and driven down the street and looking at all the Russian street signs and I'm Illiterate I don't know anything and they're talking and they could have to be having the most significant Conversation in the world, but it means nothing to me because I don't understand it and somebody literally could be speaking in tongues The wonderful works of God But if there's no interpretation it has no impact on me because I don't even know what they're talking about that's why with the gift of tongues, there must be interpretation so that there might be understanding. If there's tongues without interpretation, it's noise. It's of no value to the body of Christ. It does nothing to build you up or to bring glory and honor to the name of the Lord. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. If you're going to look for a gift, seek a gift that will build up the church, not just some kind of spiritual excitement for you don't look for the gift that's going to bless you the most look for the gift that's going to bless others the most amen too often we want the gift that's going to shine the brightest light on us instead of the gift that's going to bless and minister to others the most jesus washed the disciples feet that is an awesome gift that brought glory and honor to the father amen the gift of service the gift of helps and too often we want the gift that Honors us, we need to be seeking the gift that will bless and minister to others. He says, seek to edify others. Verse 13. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For I pray if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Again, if you have the gift of tongues, pray that you may interpret. Again, that there might be understanding. Without interpretation, the gift of tongues in a corporate setting is of no value. Now, let me make it really clear. The gift of tongues in a prayer language at home between you and God is very fruitful because there doesn't even necessarily need to be understanding because you're praying from your heart, you're ministering to God, God is doing a great and awesome thing through you, that's a blessing. But in the corporate setting, everything changes because there now must be interpretation or it is without fruit. Verse 15, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, I also will pray with understanding. With the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of uninformed say, Amen, at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So again, you can speak wonderful words. I can get up here and, you know, some guy, we can bring somebody in here who gives a wonderful exhortive message in in Greek we'll all walk out of here going, oh, i got no idea what he said, right? And the same is true, that again, when we use our gifts, we're to use them for the edification of others, not to puff up ourselves, to bring honor to our own name. Now one thing I do love here is, remember you guys, a lot of you guys, maybe you're new and you don't know this, but people give me heat because I use my hands a lot. I'm not Italian, but I just act like it, right? And the reality, I do use my hands a lot. And Peter said, or Paul said in an earlier text, you know, that Paul motioning with his hand, Taught them saying, and I said, see, there it is, okay? (laughs) So I'm just doing something biblical. Well, the other thing that I get a lot of comments about, especially from people on the radio, is I say amen a lot. People say, you say amen all the time. If you're, that guy, one time I picked up the phone, the lady said, can you get a word to that guy that's on the radio? I I think I probably can, yeah. (laughs) Tell him if he says amen one more time, I'm going to throw my radio out the window. All right, I'll let him know talking to me but that's all right but look in the text right here it says and the uninformed say amen so even all the way back in Corinth they were saying amen when people were teaching the Bible so praise God so they motioned with their hands and they said amen I'm on biblical grounds amen Amen. praise the Lord all right just a side note there I love it when God confirms that it's okay that I'm doing what I'm doing verse 18 I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all so again Paul was blessed with the gift of tongues in his devotional life. But while Paul spoke with tongues in private, look what he says. Yet in church, yet in church, I would rather speak five words with understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Is that pretty clear? Yet... You'll go into churches and there'll be people speaking thousands of words in tongues and nobody teaching the Bible and they wonder why. They've got to have the next experience next week. And it's always got to be greater and bigger and better and stronger and louder and whatever because they're not being taught the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you want to grow in your faith, you need to be in the Bible. And so he says, look, I speak with tongues more than you all and I praise God for that gift in my devotional life. But in the church... I'd rather speak five words of prophecy than 10,000 words in tongues because those five words will be understand, understood and the 10,000 will just be yelling up into the air. And again, some of you may be struggling with this this morning because you were taught different. But that's okay. The Lord still loves you. And use that gift of tongues in your devotional life or in a setting where there is interpretation. But that's where it's supposed to be used. No place else. I've had people ask me, Pastor Dave, why can't... Why can't people just jump up and start speaking in tongues during the message? Uh, because the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. Amen? And if the Holy Spirit is speaking through the pastor, teaching the word, he's not going to interrupt himself. Amen? And again, people say, but that's just quenching the spirit. No, getting up and inter- interrupting the spirit is quenching the spirit. Amen? We don't need to interrupt God. God knows, that, you know, the word of God is sufficient. And you know what? On Sunday nights, Starting in February, we're going to have an opportunity where we come together for believers' meetings, more of a worship time, an opportunity to see God use the spiritual gifts. I want us to use the gifts. We are to desire the gifts, but we are not to desire them to the point where we abuse them. Amen? Done decently and in order. Verse 20, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. He says, look, in in areas of, of malice and areas of... Of anger and bitterness, be ignorant. But when it comes to spiritual things, be mature. God requires that we be spiritually mature when it comes to the gifts. Verse 21. In the law it is written, When men of other tongues and other lips, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that, they will not hear me. This is a quote from Isaiah 28, uh, a reference to the time of Daniel. When they were out of God's will in Israel, they had rejected the Lord, and he brought the Babylonians, or the Chaldeans, in, and they came in and overran Israel. And he said, you will not heed my word, so now you're going to live with people of other tongues. So in this case, the foreign language was a form of judgment upon them. Again, because they wouldn't listen to the clear language being taught, he brought another language in, Again, a reference to the judgment of God. Verse 22 and 23. Let me read this to you, and I want... How many of you, when I'm done reading it, raise your hand if you're confused. Okay? If your, hand, if your, hand, if your hand's not up, I'll just have you come up and explain it to us, okay? Alright. Verse 22. Therefore tongues are for a sign, not for those who believe, but for unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together and all speak in in tongues, there come in those who are unformer unbelievers. Will they not say that you are out of your mind? Who's confused? All right, lying is a sin. All right. Can I tell you, I read this 20 times. and I was like, now wait a minute. This seems to be contradicting itself. Because look what it says in verse 22. Tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but for unbelievers. But then it says in verse 23 that if you're speaking in tongues in front of unbelievers, they're all going to run out and think you're out of your mind. How? That seems confusing, right? Let me explain to you what it means. Again, that's why context is so key. These verses make seem confusing. They may even seem to contradict each other. But the key is to look at the context. Who is he writing to? The Corinthians. What were the Corinthians doing? They were all speaking in tongues without interpretation, without order, without understanding, and it wasn't helping anyone, because the believers didn't understand what was being said, and the unbelievers who came in thought the people were out of their mind. But tongues was originally given as a sign for those who did not believe, Acts chapter 2. What happened in Acts chapter 2? All these unbelievers were standing around. The gift of tongues was given. They spoke the wonderful works of God. People heard it in their own language. And then they were ready to receive the gospel. Amen? And so, what, what he's clearly saying here, when it's done decently and in order, it is a sign to the unbelievers. It does reveal to them the power of God. But when it's being abused and people are all speaking in tongues all together and there's no interpretation, the unbelievers are going to run out of the church and say, You guys are all out of your mind. Does that make sense? Praise the Lord. By God's grace, okay? Verse 24 and 25. But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So if everybody speaks in tongues out of order, then the unbeliever will run from the building. But if the gift of prophecy is being delivered with understanding, it will bring about salvation. Do you think there's a difference in what needs to happen in the church? If everybody's speaking in tongues, the uninformed, unbeliever will come in and think you guys are out of your mind because he doesn't understand what you're saying. But if someone who gets up and proclaims the Word of God prophetically with understanding, then lives will be transformed and people will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's so important that we come to church not seeking emotions, not coming to be edified ourselves, but coming to minister to others and to build up the body of Christ. How is it then, brethren? So he talks about understanding, and now he's going to talk about order. Let's finish up with that. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification again everything that is being done is to be done for the edification and the building up of the body not to draw attention to yourself but to point people to the Lord now he's going to talk finally in closing here to the order that is in to be in the church verse 27 pay attention to this it's important if anyone speaks in a tongue let there be two or at the most three each in turn and let one interpret is that pretty clear So if 500 people get up and all start speaking in tongues, is that from the Word? Is that God? No. Either the Bible's right or the stirred up, whipped up emotions of men are right. Which is it? The Bible's right. And he says not only that, if people do get up and speak in tongues, let it be two or three at the most, one at a time, and let there be an interpretation. Otherwise, you're yelling into the air and it's totally void of any understanding to the people that hear it. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Again, there's an utterance coming from your heart to the Lord. It's between you and him. That's fine. But when you get up and draw attention to yourself and there is no interpretation, there is no understanding and it is not a move of God, but a move of man. God is never out of control, you guys. Ever. You don't just speak in tongues because you couldn't help yourself. That's not God either. Because as we're going to see here in a moment, that the, the gift is subject to the prophet. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak, let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let him first keep silent. So here he's talking about the gift of prophecy or the teaching of the word of God. And he says when they teach, again, it's not to be 47 different teachers. And again, I've, I've, I've talked to people that say, well, we, when we go to church on Sunday, we don't know who's going to teach. We just all kind of show up and we say, who's got a word from God? And somebody gets up and shares. Well, that's fine, except not everybody has the gift of teaching. Amen? And I'll tell you what, you want to have a nightmare? Just have a bunch of people start teaching that don't have the gift of teaching. It's going to be like me blowing on that saxophone over there. All right? It's going to be of no value to the body of Christ. And again, we all should be using our gifts. And if you have the gift of teaching, then we want to give you an opportunity to use that gift. And we want to build you up in that gift. But again... If we fail to line up with the Word of God, if we don't look at it in light of the Word, He says there in those days the prophets would speak and the other, others who had that gift would judge. Why? Because they didn't have the completed Bible like you and I do. You know who judges what I say now? You do. That's why I want you to have a Bible in your hand. I want you to see these are not the words of Dave, but the Word of God. Amen? I want you to be able to look right at it and read it and make sure that I, what I'm saying is coming directly from the Word of God not the opinions of men, so that you can judge the intent intent of the message and it can minister to your heart. Again, so many are holding on today, sadly, to words that they heard from men. Can I tell you, again, we're almost done here, but can I tell you that it just really grips me when someone will say to me in counseling, yeah, but I was told 12 years ago by such and such a pastor that I had this certain thing I was supposed to do and I just have to do that now. Can I encourage you that you make sure that the Holy Spirit confirms it and that the Word of God confirms it before you listen to the Word of any man? Amen? Because men can be wrong, but the Word of God never is. So trust the Lord, trust His Word. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let him sit. So if somebody else has a Word that comes to him, don't jump up, but wait upon the Lord and be still. Verse 31, For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now, I love this. He says, All those who have the gift of prophecy in the right setting are allowed to share, but they do it one at a time. And when they do it, again, it's done decently and in order. It says there that the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, which means that the prophet has control. That's a sign of spiritual maturity, it's self control. Verse 33. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. Again, he's not the author of confusion. Where there is confusion and disorder in the church, it is not God. Well, how do I know if it's disorder? You'll know it when you see it, I promise you. Amen? If you've seen it, you know it. What in the world is this? That's disorder. You know, sometimes people say, you know what I don't like about church is too, it's just too, you know, we come in and we sing the worship songs and then we do the thing, and you know what, I, I'm all for, you know, the freedom of the Spirit to move, but I think it's good that we have order in the church service, amen? I think it's good that we come in and we know we're going to worship, and then after we worship, we're going to spend time in God's Word, and He's going to minister to our hearts, and then we're going to come to the table for communion. That's a good thing. We shouldn't be against order. Our God is a God of order. Verse verse 34. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. Now, this is taken out of context. Some guys I know really like this verse. See, babe, just stifle, right? No. Let me explain something to you. In those days, the men and women sat apart. Men sat on one side, women sat behind them or on the other side. And what he's talking about here is there were women prone in the Corinthian church. And when something was being said, would she get up and yell at her husband? What about that? You know, right? <laughs> what does that mean? And argue, right? No, no, what? Right? And he said, no, no. Look, you're not supposed to do that. Keep silent in the church. We're not supposed to have a free-for-all during the message. Amen? We're not to have a free Can you imagine all the women sitting over here and all the men sitting over here? And, you know, I say something and Jonna doesn't understand, so she yells, Ian, what are you talking about? Right? Can you imagine just the free-for-all? He said, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Holy Spirit's not the author of confusion. That's just going to be a mess. Can you How would you like to pastor that church? Everybody's speaking in tongues all at once. Everybody's whipping up in emotion. They've got no time for the word, and they're all arguing with each other. During that. Whoa, no thanks, right? No wonder that place was such a mess, right? Paul had left. They needed Paul to come back. It was a mess. So he says here, but as they are to be submissive, as the law also says, if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful for the women to speak in the church. We know earlier that he said that women could pray in church, and he even said they could prophesy. So, they're not to have authority over men, they're not to teach men, but they, are, they do have gifts, and those gifts are to be used within the body of Christ. Where is the primary learning for the wife to be spiritually from her husband? says here, if she has a question, go talk to her husband. Now, some people say to me, that's Old Testament. No, it's not. This is 1 Corinthians. This is the New Testament, right? Amen? And so learning from your husband and being submitted to your husband, so that's why it's important that we may not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers or we'll have a husband who can't teach you. Verse 36, Or did the Word of God come originally from you? Or was it, from you, was it only you who reached it? And again, Paul's kind of giving the shiver to the Corinthian church. Well, you guys are the ones that came up with the Word? I don't think so. You're the only ones that had it? Again, he's letting them know, he's rebuking them, again, that they need to be submitted to the true Word of God, that they are not the originators of it. It actually came to them from Paul. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I have written to you are commandments of the Lord. He says, any of you thinks he's a prophet in Corinth, you need to step up and say, everything that Paul just said, I agree with. Because if they disagree with it, they're not prophets. If I disagree with the Bible, I am not your pastor. I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing. If I do teach you anything contrary to the Bible, I'm outside of God's will. And so it's so important that you have the Bible in your hand to make sure that what I teach, or Pastor Joe, or Pastor Bill, or Pastor Chris, or Pastor Mike, or Pastor Dan, or Pastor... Any of us, we're teaching you when michelle's teaching the women's study when your children are being taught all of it should be confirmed by the word of god amen not the opinions of men lastly but if anyone is ignorant let him be ignorant anyone who would contend with paul or with the word of god he said let them remain ignorant if you doubt the word of god you're walking in ignorance verse 39 therefore brethren desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues again He's not talking down about tongues. He's exhorting the gift of edification, the gift of exhortation, the gift of prophecy because all who can hear it and all can understand. You know, one of the things that I hear a lot from you, especially if you have a different, depending on your background, I've had people say to me these exact words and it's not unique with me. They say it about churches where the Bible's taught. They'll come up and say, you know, I've been going to church for 25 years and I learned more today than I learned in 25 years. Why? Why? because it was in Latin, amen? Because it was a stand-up, sit fight, 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 and all this stuff. bunch of rituals void of any meaning. And they're like, dude, you just opened the Bible and like taught it. Well, there it is, amen? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We, want, we don't want to be yelling in the air. We want to prophesy. Let all things be done decently and in order. Our God is a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of forgiveness, and a God of order. Amen? And it's okay for there to be order in the body of Christ. God's divine plan for spiritual gifts, they will, one, edify the body, two, bring clear understanding to truth, and three, they will be done decently and in order. God bless you guys. I know that was a lot of verses this morning, but praise the Lord. Well, right now we're going to go to a time of communion. If the worship team will come on up. I want to say real briefly, communion, as we come to the Lord's table, it is, first of all, if you're a born-again Christian and you're here, this is for you. If you do not know God, then this is not for you. Because what are we doing? We are looking back to the cross, we're looking forward to the Lord's Supper in heaven, and we're examining our own hearts during this time. The bread or the cracker is a representation of the, of the body of Christ. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. The juice is a representation of of his blood that was shed for us. And he said, as often as we do it, to do it in remembrance of him. So we don't have membership here at Calvary Chapel. So if you're a Christian and this is for you, and what we're going to do is the worship team is going to begin to play some music. We're going to turn the lights out. Just come on up, grab the elements, and go back. And what I encourage you to do is take a moment, examine your own heart before God. Lord, show me any area where I'm away from you. Lord, if I'm not as close to you as I used to be, I know it's, I'm the one who moved. Examine my heart and renew me, renew a right spirit within me, Lord. And also, as we take communion, remember the cross and what Christ has done for you. And then look forward to the day when we will be with Him in heaven. But take that time as a time of remembrance. May it not be a ritual, you guys. May it not be something we do once a month because we're supposed to. But may it really be a time of intimacy with the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that you're a faithful God. And Lord, we thank you that you sent your Son to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. And Lord, I just pray as we go to this time of communion, the Lord's Supper, I pray, Lord, that each of us would examine our own heart before you. That this would be a time of, of reflection, a time of restoration, and a time of remembrance of that great work upon the cross. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said. Amen.